Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Hey, we're continuing this mixtape series uh, this week, and uh, we're sure glad that you're in on it. Today is actually we're completing the series. Hey, I want to thank you so much for uh, just being patient. I like to take a little bit of time during the summer just where I kind of share the microphone. You guys know that are here with us year round. I'm, I, I don't take very many breaks, but during the summer, I like to pull back. And it's not just a break for me. It's also a break for you, but it's also an opportunity. It's also an opportunity to let other people come and share what God's put on their heart. And so the way that we wanted to finish up this series today is I really felt like it would be awesome to have a mixtape message of several people, several of the leaders that are on our leadership team here at Overflow to come and share. So for about the last two months, they've been preparing. Uh, I I went to some of them and some of them came to me and said, hey, I want to share that day. We're going to do this. And so what we've got today is we've got five different voices, kind of a mixtape mashup today. That's what we should have built it as, mixtape mashup, mixtape mashup of five different voices. So y'all give it up, starting off with Joshua Sponsler. You love him. You know him. Good morning. Good morning. Cool. Last time I was using a microphone, uh, it popped, so hopefully it doesn't do this time. <laughs> um, yeah, before we even jump in any of this stuff, when I was in worship, I felt like the Lord was just speaking. That I just saw a picture of just the Lord tearing up the ground a little bit, and it was kind of like what you do before you plant seeds. Um, before you plant seeds, like in a garden, you tear up the soil you get the ground prepared. And I feel like the Lord was really preparing the ground for what the Lord was going to speak. And I feel like there's a lot of stuff that the Lord's actually preparing for you guys to hear today that's going to be life-changing. So take it serious, um, take notes, and let the Lord really speak to the heart. So um, Holy Spirit, we welcome you in the middle of this day. Welcome this middle of this time. Thank you for preparing our hearts. Um, Anoint my words to speak about you and really bless you. In Jesus' name. Well, if you guys have been uh, family with us for long enough, you guys have heard us talking about a personal relationship with Jesus. And uh, I, I think as the church, we talk about we need to have a relationship with Jesus. It doesn't need to just be these things that we do, this list of requirements. But I, I don't think, I don't know if we talk enough about what it actually means to have a relationship with Jesus. So that can be something that can be confusing or something that can be almost cliche. You need to have a personal relationship with Jesus, but you don't really know what that looks like. So we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning and uh, kind of give some practical ways of stepping into that because relationship with Jesus is everything. Yes. It's everything. We're nothing without him. We're everything with him. Yes. So the devil loves Sunday morning Christians. Like the people that are coming in, including myself, where we're just coming in and we're just trying to check off a box right. um, for one day a week and then going and living the rest of our lives without the Lord or in a different way, the devil's fine with that. The devil doesn't care if you guys are in church or out of church if the church doesn't leave with you because we're called to be the church. It's not a building. It's actually a people. Um, God desires the love, the family, and uh, really the encouragement seen on Sunday morning in our church family to be shown through our everyday lives. But how do we even do that? Because I feel like that just seems like another um, requirement or another thing to check off or another thing we just have to strive harder for. We talked about striving a few months ago. Um, how do we even do that? Because it just seems like something's like, I know I'm not good. I know I'm not the best. I'm like, do I just have to try harder with it? Well, how that happens is it comes out of our relationship with the Lord. 
and it's natural fruit. It's not something we have to try harder for. It's not something we have to fight harder for. There's times where we fight hard for it, but it's natural fruit that comes out of a relationship with the Lord. So what's it even mean to have a relationship with God? Um, I was praying about it, and I was looking through the Word, and I feel like the two main components, or two of the main components for relationship with God are abiding in God, so that's the first point, and the second point is really communal prayer, which communal prayer is kind of a big word. I'll, I'll break that down in a second, but let's just jump into abiding. Abiding means to rest in God, and it means to have God rest in you and with you. It's an intimate lifestyle of knowing God. Um, there's many people that we could know in this room that we know just by a name or just know by going out to lunch with, but we don't know them. The knowing God that abiding is talking about, which means resting in God and God resting in you, is talking about knowing God intimately, knowing God deeply. It's the knowing that you'd have with your spouse. It's knowing them fully. So um, can we pull up John uh, 15, 4 through 5? Okay, so this is awesome. So this is Jesus speaking. This is John 15, uh, 4 through 5, and it says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. So he's talking about us to remain in him. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I'm the vine, and you are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can produce nothing. What's this saying here? This is saying apart from God, apart from relationship with him, apart from being intimately involved with him, we can't produce anything. We can work hard. We can get a great paycheck. We can be working. I have some of my coworkers that are working seven days a week trying to just go after all the money and work in hours upon hours. But apart from God, we could do nothing important, nothing significant. So everything comes from our abiding with God. Mm. abiding is truth. So knowing the truth right here, it says knowing the truth and the truth will set you free. Um, knowing the truth of abiding with God is something we need to know, like have head knowledge with. And it's something we need to practice out because there's a part of it to know and to live out. And there's a part of it that really needs to be practiced because if it's not practiced, it's not grown. It's something, a relationship with the Lord takes practice and it takes hard work and it takes intentionality. Without that, you won't have it. Okay, the second point of really walking in a relationship with the Lord is prayer. And I just a simple working definition of prayer is really talking with God and listening to Him. It's twofold. If you're, if you're having a relationship with someone, um, a healthy relationship, <laughs> you need to talk and you also need to listen. It goes back and forth. It's not a one-way conversation. And I feel like um, I've had times in my life where it's been a one-way conversation where it feels like you're crying out to God and there's a place for that. But if there's not the listening back, there's where are we giving room for God to speak and transform? Because God wants to speak into us and transform us to look like him. Can we pull up uh, 1 Kings? So this is really cool too. The word's awesome. Um, it says, so this is God speaking to Elijah. Um, in the Old Testament, Elijah was a prophet, uh, one handpicked by God, which we'll talk about that in a second. And it says, 1 Kings 19, 1 through 13, and it says, go out, so God speaking to Elijah, and stand before me on the mountain. The Lord told him, and as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by. So imagine this, you're waiting for the Lord, and you don't fully know what the Lord's going to look like. He's going to come to you, and it said, um, a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. 
and it was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not on the wind. So check this out. You guys imagine waiting on the Lord, and a tornado comes by, and it starts ripping up all the shingles off your roof, and it starts moving things around in your house. And you're looking at this, and you're like, well, this must be God, because this is all-powerful, right? You're expecting a mighty show of power, but it said God was not on the wind. And after the wind, there's an earthquake, so everything, your entire world is shaken up, and you're waiting to see God rise up, and it said God wasn't in the earthquake. Second one should be a fire, right? Okay, there we are. So after the earthquake, there was a mighty fire. There was a, there was a fire. And after the fire, there, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. So we went through all of this stuff. There was the mighty shows of God, which are really a show of God, but they were not God himself. And what God came with was a gentle whisper. God is always speaking. He is always speaking. Most of the time, he speaks in a gentle whisper. We can go our entire life being a child of God because everyone in here that was born again, that gave their lives up to the Lord and really asked him to be their Lord and Savior is a child of God. We can give our entire lives walking with him and miss out on his still voice because we're too busy. The American culture is constantly running, constantly running. We could be staying up 24 hours a day and always have something to do. There's, there's never a lack but God's voice most of the time comes in a still whisper. But how do we hear that voice? How do we hear that voice? I'm going to share that in a second. Um, in the Old Testament, God spoke to a few special individuals, handpicked and anointed. In the New Testament, um, God speaks to us as friends, and the Holy Spirit counsels us. His voice. So just like when you're hearing God's voice, God's voice speaks in a many different ways, but his voice always lines up with his word. This is how you know if his voice is his voice or, that, or another voice. His voice always lines up with his word. If it is not in alignment with his word, it's not his voice. Well, it's not enough just to talk about relationship with God um, because it just is another head knowledge thing. How do we actually live this out? Um, what are, what's some practice that we can do with this? Um, the first one, though. Can we pull up the first one? The first one is we can practice this by taking a few minutes in the morning to be completely quiet and have your phone shut off, have all of your other distractions set aside, and thank God that he is always with you and that he lives with you. And don't just rush through that. That, that just seems something that could be saying that that's just simple and that's okay, but don't rush through that. Really take time to be able to thank him and be still before him. The second thing is write these down if you guys have are taking notes. Ask him to teach you and to be, teach you how to be constantly aware of him today. Abiding is being with him. We need to know that he's with us. We need to be aware of him. And the third point is ask him to open your ears to hear his voice. God wants to speak. It takes us saying, God, we want to hear you. Okay. So um, anytime people are... Anytime people are gathering, there's always a chance where there might be people coming in here that are Sunday morning Christians. Um, I know I've been guilty of that myself, but can we just close our eyes and we're, we're just going to pray. Anyone who wants to really invite Jesus to be really not just the Lord and Savior of their life, which is first most, like the most important thing you can ever do, but also in a relationship with God, just repeat after me, which we're just all going to repeat after. But if you guys want that, just repeat that. So Jesus, we love you. We repent where we have not been in relationship with you. And we repent, God, where we're trying to check off boxes. 
We want you. Teach us how to be in a relationship with you. Amen. Do I just invite her up? Well, this is my beautiful bride. She is so gorgeous, and she's so much more powerful than she is gorgeous, but she is really gorgeous. Good morning, everybody. I am so incredibly honored to be up here today, and I'm so incredibly honored that you guys are going to be able to hopefully receive some of what I have for you today. I'm actually going to be speaking about fear today, and I know this is probably a message a lot of you have heard something about, but I'm hoping through my personal walk with the Lord and through my testimony, I'm actually able to shed a little bit of a different light on the subject, but if not, double portion. Um, But I actually grew up with OCD, and when a lot of people think about OCD, before I even say that, let me preface it with, I believe that there's a lot of scientific and medical terms for tactics of the enemy. But I grew up with OCD, and when a lot of people think of that, they think, oh, she likes all her pins in a row, or she dusts her room every day, she likes things really organized, Um, but that's just a neat person. OCD is obsessive compulsive disorder, which means that there's a compulsion. And a lot of times, these compulsions are deeply rooted in fear. So an example for me, when I would go to bed at night, I would go to lock my door, and I would lock it, and I'd get probably about five or six feet away, and I would hear, hey, the door's not locked. Go back and check it. And so I'd walk back to the door, and I'd check it, and it was locked. And so I'd say, okay. And I'd walk back, and I'd get five or six feet away, and I'd hear, hey, the door's not locked. You need to go check it. So I'd walk back to the door. And this would happen probably 15 to 16 times a night, and it was in almost every area of my life. And the problem wasn't just that I was wasting time walking back and forth at night, but it was the voice inside of me said, go back and check the door because it's unlocked and someone's going to break in tonight and they're going to murder you. I lived my entire life in fear and it was completely exhausting. It was exhausting. And so when I came to know the Lord, he began to break fear off of me. And through this process, he taught me a few things about fear and about how to overcome them, which is actually what I'm going to share with you today, a brief version of everything the Lord has poured into me. Um, But the first thing I learned about fear is that fear is never satisfied. It doesn't stop. It doesn't just consume this one area. It is like a virus. It grows, and it mutates, and it forms. Um, But for example, say that I'm afraid of heights, and I'm up on a ledge, and it's 50 feet tall, and I say, this is way too scary for me. I can't do this. I will never go above 49 feet. So I live my life, I never go above 49 feet, and I come back a year later, and I'm on a 40-foot ledge. And now this 40-foot ledge suddenly seems really, really tall because I haven't been up to 50 feet in such a long time. And so I say, hey, I'm never going above 39 feet again. That's too much for me. And so I live my life, I don't go above 39 feet, and I come back around to it, and a 30-foot ledge suddenly seems really, really tall. And this cycle continues, and it continues, and it continues until suddenly... I'm afraid to walk out of my front door because I have a two-foot step leading down to my driveway. So fear is never satisfied, and it doesn't stop with just this one area. And the second thing the Lord began to teach me about fear is that the enemy wants you to rationalize your fear. He wants it to seem normal, like it's just in this one area. He wants you to feel like everybody else has something that they're afraid of. It's okay. But when we come into agreement with the enemy and we choose to rationalize our fear, we are minimalizing our lives to fit inside of our fear box. 
and we're telling the enemy, it's okay, you can have that area of my life, I really didn't need it that much anyway. You are giving away an area of your life when you're choosing to minimize your life to fit inside of your fear box. Um, there's definitely a lot more that the Lord has taught me about fear, but I won't keep you here all day. And I'll, start, I'll talk to you about um, the ways the Lord's actually helped me walk through fear. And the first one is find your scriptures. When we have seasons of lack of finances, maybe not the best health or even just plain uncertainty, we have to be anchored in the word. We have to be anchored in the word. And a really good one for this is 2 Timothy 1.7, which says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. And what we do with these scriptures is we meditate, them, we meditate on them, and then we repeat them when we're afraid. Even in the good seasons, I'm meditating and I'm meditating and I'm meditating and I'm meditating on the word so that when I get to that rocky place of maybe not the best health or not the best finances, the word is so rooted inside me that the enemy doesn't have any place to speak. And then when I do get to those seasons where I am afraid, I just speak over myself. God has not given me a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Even if I'm repeating it over and over and over and over, I'm meditating on that word. And the second thing is go after what scares you. And I have John 8, 44, which says, For you are children of your father, the devil, and you do love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth. And this is the part I'm emphasizing on. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So we can get from this that the enemy really, really, really likes to lie. And so a lot of the times when we're going after, the reason we go after something that we're afraid of is because the thing that we're afraid of either isn't all that scary or it's not scary at all. The enemy has twisted it and made it seem like this big, huge thing when in reality, it's not scary. And the Lord has been one of the best partners with me of actually walking through and um, actually going after what scares me. I am terrified of public speaking. And when Pastor Josh asked some people in the leadership team to do this, he told us, like, we had a week to kind of get back to him. And I didn't even think about it. I didn't. It's just not something I normally do. And probably about a month after he told us we had a week to get back to him, I was driving home from work. And the Lord reminded me, like, oh, hey, do you remember that thing Pastor Josh was talking about? And I was like, oh, yeah, I do. And he was like, oh, well, you're going to go do that. And I was like, no, 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 you don't understand because Pastor Josh told us we had a week. And the Lord was like, well, why don't you just ask him? And so I reached out to Pastor Josh completely expecting for him to say, sorry, all the spots are filled, but I'm up here today. So the Lord is a really, really great partner for me, um, and he'll be a really great partner for you uh, for going after what scares you. Um, And when we go after what scares us, it won't necessarily make us unafraid the next time. But when we begin to step out in faith and we watch the Lord provide, um, it makes it so much easier the next time. Because we've seen him provide the first time. And the last thing I'll share with you today is um, one of the best ways to overcome fear is to remove the word can't from your vocabulary. And now I'm not, disclaimer, not good at this at all. My husband is incredible. I've actually never heard the word can't come out of his mouth. And this is something the Lord's really used my husband to teach me and to pour into me. Um, but I have Proverbs 18, 21 through 22, which says, wise words satisfy like a good meal. The right words bring satisfaction. The tongue can bring life or death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. 
And one of the major reasons that what you speak of yourself is so important is because what you speak is going to become what you believe. What you believe is going to show in your actions. Your actions are going to become your habits, and your habits are going to become who you are. So if before I came up here, I'm over there going, I'm no good at this. I'm no good at this. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. When I come up here believing that I can't do this, it's probably going to be really, really bad. And after a few times of me coming up here and just not giving, um, really giving it my all, and it's not a good, a good message, I'm going to walk away saying, I'm not a good public speaker. And I'll probably be like, darn, I really wish the Lord would have blessed me with that gift. But we're missing out on so much because of what we're speaking of ourselves and declaring about ourselves. Uh, But we cannot afford to be afraid. The church can't afford to be afraid. Your neighbor next door who's going to hell cannot afford for you to be afraid. We have to be bold. And so I'll close by giving an example that one of my favorite pastors other than Pastor Josh gives, Chris Vallotton. (laughs) So if everybody will go ahead and close your eyes. And ask yourself, if you were 10 times bolder than you are right now, what would you do? So if you were 10 times bolder than you are right now, what would you do? Now, if that answer was anything other than what you are currently doing, you have let fear minimalize your life in some way, shape, or form. And so I'll pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Teach us how to be bold. Teach us how to go after our fears. We thank you for your courage. Amen. And now we have the lovely, or the handsome, so sorry, so sorry. It's Zach. Good morning, Overflow. Um, So earlier this week, I had left work as well, and it was a rough day at work for me. I, I was kind of half-hearted and kind of dis- discouraged about where I was. And, and initially on my drive home, I, that's what I was talking to the Lord about. I was just talking to him about, you know, I'm, I'm discouraged about where I am, where, where you know, not, not seeing pro- the progress I wanted to see. Um, and after that, that conversation was done, I asked him, I said, you know, what do you want me to speak on, on on this Sunday? And I feel like I heard the Lord say, diligence and patience. And I went, is that for me or is that for a message? And he said, yes. <laughs> so um, diligence and patience, you have to have both in order to get where you're supposed to be because obviously if you're diligent on a diet for two days and you're not patient, you don't see the results, you're not going to see results. If you're patient and sitting around doing nothing, um, you will never see results either because you're not doing anything. Um, so first, diligence. Uh, Ephesians four twenty-two and 24. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. In 1986, there was the Space Shuttle Challenger, um, which broke apart 73 seconds into its flight, killing all seven crew members. Uh, The disintegration of the vehicle began after, after a joint in its right solid rocket booster failed at liftoff. The failure was caused by the failure of O-ring seals used in the joint that were not designed to handle the unusually cold conditions that existed at this launch. They didn't take into account the little things. Um, It's the little things that you have to be diligent about. You know, 
bitterness that you hold on to and, and, and you say, well, I, you know, they really hurt me. I have the right to be upset about them. The, the relationship at work that is, you're a little bit too close to them, but oh, they're just a friend. Um, in times of difficulty and unusual struggle, that, that bitterness turns into an anger problem. In times of difficulty and unexpected circumstances, that relationship at work can turn into an affair. You, you have to be diligent about the little things. You, you can't let the little things from your old self become big problems because you weren't diligent to deal with them. And sometimes these little issues, you may not even be aware of them. You may not even, they, they weren't aware of the fact that the, you know, the O-rings are going to mess up in these cold conditions. That, that's a conversation to have with the Lord of like, hey, I, I, if there's something that I'm not aware of that's within me that, that I need to be, that need be taken off of, let, let me know. Um, patience. Hebrews 10.36. For you have need of patient endurance to bear up under difficult circumstances without compromising, so that when you have carried out the will of God, you may receive and enjoy to the full what is promised. Patience is persistent expectancy in, in, our, in our lives because there's not, we're not sitting around and hoping that something will happen. We, we know something to bear up under difficult circumstances without compromising. Persistent expect, expectancy. Um, it's really easy to think about diligence and patience and to think of it in a manner that is just, you know, you're going to willpower your way through these things. I'm going to make sure that I, I dot all of my I's and cross all of my T's. I'm going to do everything as, as exactly as I'm supposed to do, and I'm, I'm going to make myself get there. And, and just this pushing way of, way of doing things. Um, how do we find the motivation to be diligent and patient? So, like I said, we t- that's, that's our tendencies. We tend to want to do a willpower way. Let me submit to you that's um, something very, very different. Genesis 29.20. This was just spoken about a few weeks ago by Pastor Josh. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they see him to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. He was infatuated with her. Just seven years of work, toil, sweat, being enslaved to her father, and it seemed like a few days because he was just completely in love with, with Rachel. How much, how much more so? <laughs> how much more so are we meant to be in pursuit of him? And the diligence and the patience and, and the, the, the work of the toil of being here and, and things like that, it's, it seems like a little bit when you really have your focus on him and, and you're, you're just infatuated with him, you're obsessed with him. And, and, and you know, I, I guarantee you, Jacob's going through Every single day, just doing all this different work, and he's thinking about, man, I'm about to be with Rachel. <laughs> he's not worried about the, the difficulty of it all. Because it, uh, seven years, and it seems like a few days to him, because he's just infatuated with her. How much more so are we meant to be infatuated with the Lord? To be, just be obsessed with him and, and, and spend time with him. And, and, and not, it's, it's not even a discipline thing. It's just a, I, I want to go and be with him. You know, Paul talks about, um, <laughs> I, I, I liked his wording. He's, he's like, you know, I'd rather go be with the Lord, but it, it, it's, it's better that I stay with you all. And to me, that just sounds like, like, he, like he's just got, got, got a choice. Be like, you know what, guys, I'm just going to go. Like, um, 
but he, he just walked so closely with the Lord. Um, but if, if nothing else to take, take away from what I have to say, that diligence, um, patience, the, those, all of these things come and they're, they're rooted in an infatuation with the Lord and, and just a, an obsession with him and a pursuit of him consistently. Um, next is my, my earthly infatuation. So this is Hannah Massa. He gave me his extra time. Oh, dang, they cut it off. <laughs> they was like, nope. Them extra two minutes, they're ours. <clears throat> okay. So uh, what I wanted to talk about today is not, I mean, it, you've, it's like Madison said, you've probably heard it several times in several different messages. Uh, I want to talk about a priority issue that we all have, not, not like one, not one priority, just like we all have a priority issue, uh, idolatry. Uh, but idolatry is just such a, like a harsh word, right? When you hear it, you expect the next words out of that person's mouth to be like, thou shalt not, because thou, thou sayest the Lord, thus sayest the Lord, right? It just sounds so intense. It's, it's like, it doesn't sound like a relevant word. It's not a relevant word that we use today. But um, at the root of what it is, it's so relevant because we are created to be addicted to something. And when I see so many different pasts in this room, when I see so many different stories of cycles that we've come out of and issues that we've had, and they just feel like we never really get over them, you know? It's because we're meant to be addicted to something, and there's just a priority issue. I had something else to say, but that train left. Uh, I have a quote from Pastor Josh that I loved what he said. He spoke on idolatry pretty recently, and he said, anything you can't say no to is an idol. And I think that's so good because there are a lot of things that I don't like to say no to. You know, and in turn, I don't like to be told no. Like, when I was a teenager, I had, I had this guy that I was with, right? And I was like, we had just started driving. And his brother also started driving. And I was like, well, let your brother drive his own car. And you can ride with me. You know, we're, we're together. He's like, no. And then later, I was like, why did he tell me no? Like, there's no reason for that. Like, if you don't have a good reason to tell me no, tell me yes right? Because you know it's going to make me happy anyway, and then you're going to be happy because I'm happy. It's all good. Well, um, there's a few biblical examples of idols that I want to give of, I feel like they relate to things that we go through today. Uh, the first one is man's creations. And I guess I should have made those points, but if you want to write it down, it's man's creations. Uh, and I feel like when I wrote those words down, the first thing that came into my mind was our kids. Um, now, I can't say that, you know, when it, before I was a mom, I was like, I can't understand how someone's kid can become their idol. Like, you know the Lord's supposed to be first in your life. But it's not on purpose. <laughs> You're not, you don't have idols on purpose. You're not like, <clears throat> you know, I really like pasta. 
So I think I, I think I like pasta a little bit more than I like God. It's not like a conscious thought that you have. It just kind of happens because of what Madison said. You know, these habits or our actions become our habits and they become who you are. And so with our kid, with our kid, with our kid, I'm a mom, I'm a mom. And so that becomes the first thing in my mind. It becomes my identity. Well, uh, Psalms 135.15 is a good example of man's creations. It says, The idols of the nations are silver and gold, and they're made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, nor is their breath in their mouths. And those who make them will be like them. And so all... So will all who trust in them. Y'all. Like, I like to work with my hands. I love to work, like, woodworking. I was a dog groomer for a while. I just love working with my hands. I love being outside and all that. So if I just am like, y'all, I made this pulpit. Look at it. It's amazing. This thing is so inanimate. And if I become obsessed with the things that are not bringing me life, I will... I will have a mouth, but I will not, what I speak will not matter. I will have eyes, but what I see will not affect me. I will have ears, but what I hear won't, I won't be able to absorb it, you know? Uh, So I thought that verse was like, Josh said, Bible, cool. Um, The next one I want to talk about is food and drink. Drink, whatever, drinks, even soda, whatever. Uh, But... I mean, it's really true that food can become an idol because I can't even tell you how many times I've, like, tried to limit myself or, you know, whatever, go on a diet, and I will seriously be miserable. Like, and my mom is trying to do this diet with my dad right now, Uh, and it's Weight Watchers. But she, it was, like, last Wednesday, and she was coming back from church, and she was like, man, I'm so hungry, but I'm just going to go to bed. And sometimes I, I always forget that she's on the diet. And so I'm like, mom, what the heck? Just drive through Whataburger. You don't have to be miserable about it. And she was like, Hannah, are you trying to kill me? Because she's on her diet. And I was like, oh, yeah. And I totally get that. Like, you're so disappointed in what you're going to have to go get to eat that you're like, it's, it doesn't even matter because it's not going to be very good. And that has definitely, I have struggled with making food so important to me that I get happy or sad because of it, which is a, it's a bit much, you know. Uh, so 1 Corinthians 10.6 is an example of this. It says, do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they got up to indulge in revelry. And so I really, I want to focus on that word revelry for just a minute uh, and change the word to like a party, you know what I mean? And so I'm bringing that into my next point, selfish desires. Um, and I'll bring Reverie back. I'll come back to it. Colossians 3, 5 says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. <clears throat> Sorry. And so a few everyday things that we see about this, you know, when we, I feel like when we read that in the Bible, we just focus on like impure stuff, but there's so much in like just the word evil desires and greed and 
revelry comes back to that, I put anger, bitterness. If you feel controlling, if you feel like you, and I know some people it stinks, but you enjoy when other people are uncomfortable or like, you know, you enjoy to scare people, like not just like, boo, but like, you know, I know somebody that their kid was afraid of the dark. And so the kid be taking a bath and they'd turn the light off. You know, that's mean. I mean, the kid's like a little kid, whatever. I mean, you know, if the kid thinks it's funny, then it's funny. But if they're crying, it's mean. Anyway, but these are not just priority issues. You know, you don't just get angry. It becomes your habit, and it becomes who you are. It's an identity issue, and that's why the priority thing is such a big deal because it becomes who we are. I'm not just angry. I'm angry all the time. I'm angry about my food. I'm angry about what I made. I'm angry about this and that. And you become an angry person. It just becomes who you are. And if I took away your anger, when that's who you are, if I take away your bitterness, when you've been holding on to it for so long, what do you have? Do you feel empty? Do you feel like you don't know what to do now? And uh, where William is obsessed with the movie Moana right now, and Maui, is this demigod in the movie, and he has this powerful fish hook, and he has to learn throughout the movie that if he doesn't have his fish hook, he's still Maui. It do, you know, it gives him the power to transform and to change and all these different things, but in the end, he has to learn that he can still be a great him without the fish hook. So um, I guess I'm going to go to my closing because here I am. I put, uh, when we become Christians, initially it's a change in status rather than a change in behavior. Because transformation, can I take, never mind. Because transformation comes by the renewing of your mind. It's a process. You know, um, it doesn't happen instantly. We have to take every thought captive and we have to constantly renew our mind. It's, and that's why it's so important for us to have believers around us that are, farther along in their faith age than us. You know, it doesn't mean they're actually older than you, but it means they're more saturated than you are. And they will likely be better at taking their thoughts captive. And you need that encouragement in your life, and you need that example in your life. Um, And I think the best example of taking our thoughts captive and choosing to make the Lord a priority, you know, he doesn't want worship. He wants worshipers. You know, he doesn't just need your praise. He needs your heart. And uh, I think the, my favorite example of that in the whole Bible is uh, the story about the woman at the well. In John 4, 28, uh, it says the woman left her water jar beside the well. She came to the well for a reason. She had an agenda when she went there. And the Lord came in, messed it up, reprioritized everything, and... She totally forgot about it. It didn't even matter anymore. She just left it there. She abandoned what she knew for this new God, this Savior. So I thought that was great. I love that. And I don't really have a a happy note to end on. But it is happy because the Lord's good. Amen? Amen? Here's Nathan. Yow, yow, yow. Overflow Church. All right. Repeat after me. For I am convinced. convinced. Say that again. For I am convinced. 
perfect. Romans 8.38 says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Who's experienced death before? Raise your hands. Boom. Who here has uh, experienced demonic oppression before? I know I have. Who's experienced highs and lows? Just like that verse is talking about. I know I have. Today we're going to talk about someone in Scripture who needed to hear that, that verse. And it wasn't around for him back then because Paul came out later and wrote that in Romans. Are you convinced of this kind of love? The kind of love that this is talk, talking about? The Scripture starts with, for I am convinced. Well, are you? I want to talk to you about someone who needed to be convinced of that kind of love. Uh, his name is John the Baptizer. I call him John the Baptizer because I grew up thinking he was really a Baptist, like the, a Baptist. He was a Jew. He was not a Baptist. He was not a Christian. So I like to clarify, John the Baptizer, that's what he did. That's why he was called John the Baptist. So uh, what do we know about John the Baptist? We know that he was Jesus' cousin. We know that he baptized Jesus later on, before Je- uh, right as Jesus was starting his ministry. We know that he recognized Jesus as the Messiah, uh, we know that he was arrested, he was put in prison, and later he was beheaded. He got his head cut off. Poor guy. <laughs> well, in this story, John's in prison. Um, John's in prison while Jesus is out performing a bunch of miracles. He's, Jesus is doing all these crazy miracles, and John's hearing about it because John has his own disciples. We're not talking about Jesus' disciples. John had disciples, too. So just his disciples are coming and telling John about all these things that Jesus is doing. And John is having this moment of like, well, what about me? Like, come on, man. If you're the, if John spent his entire life preparing his way for the Messiah, for the Jews. He, he went out into the desert. He was baptizing people, preparing people for the coming king. The, the, what they thought the king was going to come and free them from the oppression. They thought he was going to come in and, and wreck house. So he's been preparing his whole life for this moment, and he goes and baptizes Jesus, recognizes him as the Messiah, and then next thing you know, he's in prison, and he's out doing, and Jesus is out there doing a bunch of miracles while he's in prison. So he's feeling forgotten. He's feeling left out. And so he, he literally asks, he sends his disciples to ask Jesus this question. It says in Matthew 11, 1 through 6, it says, After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John was in prison, heard about, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who's to come, or should we expect someone else? Dude, you baptized him. Like, and he's like, well, should we expect someone else? Because I'm here, and you're out there, and it seems like you've just forgotten where I'm at. What about me, man? Like, I prepared the way for you. He's discouraged. He's stuck in prison. He's persecuted. He's feeling unseen and forgotten. He starts to doubt the man that he himself baptized. So Jesus replies to this, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Then Jesus hits John with this heavy word right here in verse 6. It says, and blessed, and blessed is the one who's not offended by me. He's correcting John's perspective in that moment. He's like, hey, man, all these crazy things are happening. Look, And he, he, he takes John's uh, disciples on, on the path with him. And, he's, and he's, he says, he says uh, 
What does it say? It says, uh, report to John what you hear and see. So he showed them all these things that were happening, and he's walking them through. And he's like, hey, blessed is the one who's not offended by me. He was correcting John's perspective. That's out of, out of Jesus' own mouth. It's easy to feel left out and forgotten sometimes, even mad at the Lord sometimes. We can even be seeing him move mightily in other people's lives like John was. John was hearing of Jesus moving mightily in all these other people's lives in all these towns, and he was still offended. And that's easy for us to do as well when we're seeing the Lord move in other people's lives. And I want to encourage you in Jesus' own words, blessed are those who are not offended by him. So what do we do when we're going through bad seasons, hard times? What do we do? Do bad things happen to good people? Of course. Is God the one that causes you know, some of those things to happen? I don't know, but that's not what I'm here to talk to you about. What I am here to talk to you about is what the, uh, what the enemy's job description is. That if it looks like the enemy's job description of stealing, killing, and destroying, that's the work of the enemy. That is not the work of the Lord. So when we're seeing these things happen, and it's easy for us to get offended at the Lord, we need to correct our mentality. We need to correct our heart and speak the truth about Jesus. Just the way that we would protect our family members if someone's coming in and slandering their name or saying something bad about our family member, our husband, our wife, our kids, just the way we would want to go protect their character, protect their integrity, we need to do the same exact thing when the enemy or ourselves, our own thoughts, try to come against the Lord in our mind it's like, man, is the Lord really, like, is he forgotten about you? Or we, need to be, we need to protect the integrity of the Lord, his character. We need to be able to speak the truth about our Father to ourselves in the same way that we would protect a family member, a loved one. How much more is Jesus a loved one, you know, than, than our own family members, right? So we need to stop putting the blame on the wrong guy. We need to protect his character and guard your heart. Protect his character and guard your heart. Uh, Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart. Above all else. It's like, really? Above loving my wife, loving my kids, above, you know, proclaiming the gospel? Yeah, above all else, guard your heart. Why? It says, for everything you do flows from it. If you're not guarding your heart, you're in a bad place, you know. You, 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 it's easy for your heart to be swayed. That's why Pastor Josh talks about all the time. He says, we don't, we don't follow our heart. Like the world tells us to do. Just follow your heart, man. What if, lead your heart. Yeah. Your heart, in Jeremiah 17, 9, says the heart is deceitful above all things yeah. and desperately wicked. Your heart is deceitful above all things, above, above everything on this world. Your, your heart is deceitful. So don't trust your heart. you got to lead your heart. Speak the truth about the Father whenever you're experiencing hard times or when you're, when you're questioning him. I'm not saying that I've never questioned him. I'm not saying you can't necessarily question him. What I am saying is don't allow your questioning to, 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 to um, you know, take his character and, ma- and make it something that it's not. You know what I mean? Yeah, so again, in Romans 8, 35, 39, I'm going to encourage you with this as we close out. It's just, who shall separate us from the love of God, from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? He's listing off all these things. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
nothing can separate you from the Father. No circumstance, no, no life happenings can separate you from the love of the Lord. So I want to encourage you guys, as you guys go through life, speak those things over yourself. Speak those things about the Father. Man, nothing can separate me from his love. Right now, I'm going through it. Right now, things aren't going good. Something really bad just happened. But man, my God is good. This thing just happened, and that man, that looks a lot like the enemy's job description. He steals. He comes to kill and destroy. So I can be mad at that guy, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn and, and stand strong in, in my father because I know I can turn to him.